I'm going to deal tonight with uh, our third week uh, of our of our um, series that we're doing. And, and I, I said this the last two weeks as well, and I say it again this evening. Nothing that we're going to deal with over these six weeks is is funny. There's no there's nothing to laugh at. There's nothing to joke about. Um, I, I don't I don't have jokes or anything funny in my notes. Um, these are serious issues. Um, depression was the first week that we that we dealt with. Um, marriage, problems in marriage. Tonight we're going to deal with um, a subject of sexual sin. Sexual sin, and um, we're going to deal with these issues that um, probably I would say we're going to deal with with. Um, Fear and anxiety. We're going to deal with uh, negativity. Some of those topics, and all of these, if we're, we're we're speaking to people in the church that that struggle with these, that that battle with these things, um, and tonight, just a very sensitive subject in in front of us. It. When a person's involved, now we're going to talk specifically about sexual sin or addiction, but this could be applied. This this information, the verses that we look at, you can apply this to any any type of addiction that you may be going through. Um, the Bible has the answer to overcome uh, in any of these areas. But when when does a when does a person change? And I believe this: it takes two things for a person to change. Number one. It takes a crisis. Most of the time, a person doesn't change until there's a crisis that they're confronted with. And also, just being confronted with a crisis doesn't cause a person to change. Once that crisis comes, then secondly, there has to be a process. You, you have to admit there's a problem. But you also then have to put a plan or a process together or what you'll do is just continue to be in that crisis. Uh, most, most change comes with a crisis, and then it takes a, a process to overcome it. And maybe for an individual that's going to be battling in this area, uh, a, a sense of personal uh, failure, uh, it's going to produce a crisis, and, and then it's going to produce a desire to change. A person has to recognize that they have failed or they're failing, in order for them to recognize or identify there is a crisis. And then once that happens, the person then says, what's a process that will change so I don't always have to live in a crisis? Sometimes, and I know there's parents in here, sometimes parents, we, we won't let our kids experience a crisis. We don't want our kids to go through a crisis. And, and, and we, so we won't let them. And it's hard, it's hard, I believe, to let our kids suffer uh, and go through a crisis. But we have to understand this. A crisis is what's necessary, and all of us have to deal with a crisis if we're going to go through a process to change. Let me give you an example. A crisis would be this. A child, I am, um, uh, for four ministries that I've been involved in, all four of them have had Christian schools, and I've been involved in uh, at some level in all four of those schools. And when I was in Milford, I was heavily involved in the, in the Christian school there. 
and um, a parent would um, uh, parent would after three semesters of uh, uh, um, or three quarters of you know D's and F's or failing grades, that parent would come in the fourth quarter and say, "My kid's failing. What what do I need to do?" And you say, "Well, I would have gone back and maybe looked at this. No, no, no. I don't want to hear. I mean." If my kid doesn't pass now, I mean, it, they're in crisis mode, and they, they'll say, I'll do anything possible. I just can't allow my kid to fail, and they're in crisis mode. And so crisis is a child is, is doing bad in school, and they realize they're not going to pass if something doesn't change. Crisis. A process would be, um, I'm not going to allow my son or daughter to watch four hours of TV a night. And maybe by taking away four hours of TV, they could put study time in, and that might change the crisis they're in. Or I'm, 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 I'm going to um, uh, get a tutor and tutor my child, or I'm going to get caught up in my schoolwork. All these classes, uh, 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 assignments weren't turned in. I'm going to get these assignments turned in. Or maybe, maybe I'm going to get a better seat in the class and, and, and not be distracted by my friends. Maybe even some might say part of that process is I need to get new friends that are serious about school. You see the difference? There's a crisis, and then there's a process so that I don't live in this crisis constantly. And the reality is this, and I want you to write this down in your heart. The reality is this, although we don't like it, pain brings me to the crisis. Most of the time, it's pain. It's something that hurts. It's something painful that brings me to this place. It's something that I am going to lose. It's a a grade that I might fail. It's a family, it's a, a breakup, it's something that is now causing me pain, and that's what brings a person to, the, to this crisis. And what we need to pray for as we talk about these subjects is we need to pray for wise behavior and for some different, different behavior. And by doing, applying wisdom to our life and by applying a different behavior, it brings us to fulfill this process so we can get out of where we're at. I want you to write this down, if you would. In all change, there is a crisis and a process. And I want you to forget that. This week, we're going to look at the crisis. Next week, we're going to look at a process. It's way too much information. Somebody said to me last week, way too much information. I I just couldn't get it all. And and I said, well, go back to the podcast and listen to it. I, I I could take weeks on each of these subjects, but... I'm going, to, I'm going to give you a lot of information, um, and um, in all change, there is a crisis in a process. Crisis this week, process next week. And when I fail in the process, I'm going to return to the crisis. And so we want the process, and we want to follow through with that. Is it cold in here? Are we turn those. Would you turn that? Maybe just hit it up. I see the ladies. Ladies, feel, feel free to get closer to your husbands. You're allowed to do that. And um, husbands, put your arm around your wives, warm them up. Let's just get a little bit of heat in there. Everybody, everybody cold? Oh, it feels good? Then don't touch them. Who, who's cold? Anybody cold? One person. Can you cuddle? Can you help her with that? <laughs> Somebody, is anybody hot? Some of you are just right. 
I, I don't know. Let's just go outside then. You know? We'll leave them the way they are. All right, nobody, nobody is going to be free from uh, sexual sin without a process to overcome it. All right, that's one thing that we've got to understand. Nobody is going to be free from sexual sin without a process to overcome it. In sexual sin, I think you'd, you, you'd agree with this, sexual sin is just ravaging our society. The, this is, these statistics say this, 68% of men in 18% of women view pornography at least one time a week. 68% of men and 18% of women view pornography at least one time a week. The internet um, searches for pornography, one in five internet searches or web searches are for searching pornography, one in five. 20%. It's amazing. The statistics also say this. Now, most of the time we look at sexual sin as a man's problem. This statistic is true. Women are having affairs, it's up 40%. Women having affairs are up 40%. How many of you would say we're in a crisis in our country? We're in a crisis. In sexual sin, it's tearing, it's tearing apart families. And, and it's causing women living in defeat. It causes men cowering in shame. And this is what's happening within the church. And we're going to look at a lot of Scripture this evening in, in the New Testament. We're going to look at some Old Testament passages as illustrations. But we're going to look at some New Testament Scripture. And I want you to understand this. When Paul is dealing with the church at Corinth, he's dealing with Christians. Do you agree with that? Book of Corinth is written to who? Or the, the Corinthians is written to, to who? The church of Corinth, the church, right? The believers. And he's writing them and he's challenging them in this area of sexual sin. And what happens? So what happens then when a believer lives in sexual sin? The problem is this. Large numbers of people then that are living in this sexual sin, they're living separated from the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. So we have Christians, believers, that are living powerless lives. And that's not what God intended. God did not intend for the believer to live under the uh, addiction or under the, 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 the bondage of anything. He intended for the believer, he intended for the believer to live under the power of the Holy Spirit. All right? And because of this, because of such a large hold of sexual sin in many people's lives, that means this, in the church, many aren't growing spiritually. Because when, when they pray, I, I hear this many times in counseling, when I pray or when I read, when I, when I sing, when I come to church and I attempt to worship, I, all the views and all the things that have been involved in the last week they flood my mind, and it causes me not to be able to, to hear from the Lord. And that's what sin does. And Satan will continue to remind you of all of your failures. And for some, some just stop coming to church because they just feel like they're a hypocrite. I'm not getting anything. I'm living in sin, and I know it. And we need a crisis. We need a crisis that causes us to wake up to this. 
And so I'm going to give us this evening, I, I think if we have the time this evening, I'm going to give you five, five things that will cause us to overcome. And what this is going to do is this is going to send us to the place where we realize there's a, a crisis. Next week, we're going to look at a process, okay? And so realize we're not going to cover everything here this evening. First one, we're going to spend the majority of the time on, and then the four we'll uh, get through. And so as this evening goes on, you think, boy, this first point's taking some time. Don't worry, the next four aren't going to take as long as this first point. But this first point is very, very important. And the reason why this is important is because in order for us to overcome sexual sin or, or, or any addiction here, the first thing we must do is we must admit that sexual sin is breaking God's law. You've got to see the first thing. We've got to admit. We've got to admit that this sexual sin, it's breaking God's law. And if you're a believer, you should care what it does to God. As a child of God, we ought to care. In Genesis chapter 39, if you'll turn there with me, Genesis chapter 39, and for many probably here in this room, it's a very familiar passage of Scripture. We're going to look at a story of a man by the name of Joseph. And the Bible tells us in Genesis 39, um, I won't take the time to read through this entire story. Joseph is taken uh, into bondage. He's sold into Egypt. A man by the name of Potiphar. Potiphar is a, is a um, uh, uh, captain of the guard. He's an Egyptian. He is, um, uh, uh, he's got some authority. He's got some power. Uh, he has some substance in his life and, and, and uh, uh, wealth. And the Bible says, uh, tells us that in verse number one. In verse number two, the Lord uh, was with Joseph, and, and, and Joseph was a prosperous man. And Potiphar recognized that the hand of God was upon Joseph. And God's hand was upon Joseph so much that, that the blessing went from Joseph into Potiphar's house. And the Bible tells us this, that Potiphar's fields yielded much because of God's hand upon Joseph's life. And so Potiphar became wealthy or, or uh, had great substance, even greater substance, because of who Joseph was. And when, Joseph, when Potiphar saw that, the Bible tells us that, that uh, Potiphar gave Joseph um, uh, everything that belonged to him. And, 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 and what he was saying is this, everything that Potiphar had, the Bible says that Potiphar didn't even know how much he had because Joseph was taken over. He gave everything. He trusted Joseph that much. That means Joseph had Potiphar's checkbook. He, was, he knew more of what Potiphar was worth than Potiphar knew. The Bible says that Potiphar just knew what was before him when he ate. <laughs> but Joseph knew everything. And then there was a situation that happened to Joseph. And it came to pass from the, in verse number five, from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake, and the blessings of the Lord was upon all that he had in his house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not uh, uh, he had save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, lie with me. She was tempting Joseph enticing Joseph. But the Bible says in verse 8, but he refused and said unto his master's wife, behold, my master's uh, master wadeth not what is with me in this house, and he hath committed all that he hath 
hath to my hand. There is none greater in his house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee. Because thou art his wife, how then can I do this great wickedness and a sin against God? Now, I want you to see something here. Joseph is tempted by Potiphar's wife. You don't find Joseph saying, you're not attractive, I'm not interested. Joseph, probably being a man, may have been attractive. You don't find Joseph um, uh, saying, I, 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 I'm not interested. What you find Joseph doing when temptation comes, what Joseph did is he began to evaluate between two things before I make this decision. And the first thing he said was this, I'm not going to betray those who have been good to me. I'm not going to betray Potiphar. Potiphar has given me everything. And I'm not going to fall to this temptation because this temptation, uh, uh, your husband has been good to me. And secondly, you see this. He says, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And so Joseph realized this. This was not for me to have. Even though my flesh might desire it, it's not for me to have. Because by taking this, it will hurt someone that's been good to me. Sexual sin, addiction, always hurts other people. And it hurts other people that are good to you. It also, though, secondly, Joseph tells us this. I can't do this because when I sin, I'm going to sin against God. We need to be concerned about sinning against God. And this evening, I want you to write this down in your heart and in your mind, and I want you to rehearse this over and over, I want you to understand that sexual sin is against God. It's breaking God's law. We've got to admit to that. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, in verse number 9, the Bible says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. This is a, Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church, and and, and when the Corinthian church got saved, um, uh, and, and many became believers, what they did is they kept a hold of their uh, a lot of sexual sin. There were some there were some uh, son-in-laws that were having affairs with their mother-in-law, and Paul is addressing these things, saying this stuff this stuff can't happen. The things that you did before you were saved. You can't continue to do this. And he, and, he, and he warns them here in 1 Corinthians. He says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, or adulterers, or, or, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. None of those will can enter the kingdom of God. And someone looks at that passage of Scripture, and I want us to understand this evening This is not me saying this or my opinion. I want to just simply look at Scripture this evening. Paul is saying this by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Those that are unaltered by by the faith that they possess, they they claim salvation, but they're unaltered in their their sinful behavior. If any of those things are are, are just an... uh, 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 unaltered pattern in your life, you're in a crisis. If you've gotten saved and you still are doing everything and holding on to everything and, and, and involved in everything that you were before you got saved, you know, Paul is saying to, hear, to you, you, you need to check that. You need to be careful. 
Because a saved person, their behavior should change. They should not and cannot be involved unaltered in what they used to be involved in. And, and, and listen to me this evening, and I want to, I want to be careful with this, but I want to help you. We don't need a church that tells people that we're fine in the way we live. We, we, need, a, we need a church that, 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 that loves people enough and tells them that, that they need to be right with God. You need to get right with God. You need to, to repent. We, we don't want, we should not want as believers to come to church and live a life that we've always lived even before we were saved and, and then leave thinking everything's fine with no conviction. We, we want that. And Paul was loving enough to the people here at this church that he was saying, I'm going to speak truth to you. I'm going to tell you, even though you might not like it, you can't continue in sin. If you can just continue in sin, you need to understand, you need to know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Hear the statement this evening. If the gospel of Jesus Christ has not interrupted your sinful pattern, you may need to check your salvation. If, if, if the gospel has not altered your sinful pattern, you are the same person that you've always been. You've just added Jesus. I want you to know this. In, in India, they'll gladly add Jesus as one of their gods. But it doesn't mean that they're saved. In America, we can be guilty of doing the same. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians, if you would. We're in 2 Corinthians here, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You with me? All right. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In verse number 17, the Bible says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's what? A new creature. If Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Does that mean that once you get saved, you stop sinning? No, we, we know that's not true. We know that's not true. But a Christian, a true Christian, is a new creature, and they have victory over the sin they, that held them in bondage before they were saved. Christians are not perfect, but a Christian should constantly be increasingly looking like Jesus. And my question to us this evening would be this, as we look at this subject, as we think about sin, how it hurts the Lord, how it's a sin against God, which direction are you going? Are you going up with your walk with the Lord, or are you going opposite of that direction? A Christian that's saved. Now, you can't compare yourself next to even the person you're sitting next to. Your, your, your growth isn't good or bad dependent upon the person that you live with or your friend or somebody else you go to church with or somebody you work with. Your growth is, is based upon the Lord and, and his desire for you to grow. And, and to be honest with you, some people do grow faster as Christians than others. I, I'm not the Holy Spirit. That's not my business, but the reality of it's true. But you, you're, you're, you ought to be growing constantly. As long as there's growth in your life, Christians aren't perfect, but they ought to be growing in the relationship with the Lord. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, just turn over to 1 Corinthians with me, just a few pages. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, in verse number 18, 
All right, so we, we understand this. In order for us to overcome, we must admit that, that sexual sin, we're breaking God's law. In 1 Corinthians 6.18, I want you to see this verse. The Bible says, flee fornication. Every sin that is a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. You're, dis, you're, you're, you're destroying your body with fornication, with sexual sin. You're destroying yourself. Now, how many of you would say this? How many of you would say, if I had acid, you would love to just take acid and pour it all over your body? How many of you would say, That's a, that sounds like a great thing to do with acid? How many of you would say, I would never do that with acid? Of course not. But acid to the body is sexual sin to the soul. You're destroying yourself. When you are involved in sexual sin, you are destroying yourself. Here, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doth doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. You're destroying yourself. The further it is outside of God's boundaries, in God's boundaries, we must understand is this. God's boundaries is one man with one woman for a lifetime. That's God's boundaries. God set that, not me. The the further outside of that you go, the faster the destruction, the deeper the addiction is. 